Chapter 19 of 17. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, July 2009. 17 by Booth Tarkington. Chapter 19. I dunno why it is. William extricated his arm, huskily muttering words which were lost in the general outcry. Car's coming! The young people poured out through the gate, and as the car stopped, scrambled aboard. For a moment, everything was hurried and confused. William struggled anxiously to push through to Miss Pratt and climb up beside her, but Mr. George Crooper made his way into the crowd in a beaming, though bull-like manner, and a fat back in a purple and white blazer flattened William's nose, while ponderous heels damaged William's toes, and just managed to clamber upon the footboard as the car started. The friendly hand of Joe Bullitt pulled him to a seat, and William found himself rubbing his nose and sitting between Joe and Johnny Watson, directly behind the dashing Crooper and Miss Pratt. Mr. Crooper had already taken Floppet upon his lap. "'Dogs are always crazy about me,' they heard him say, for his high voice was but too audible over all other sounds. "'Dogs and children! I don't know why it is, but they always take to me. My name's George Crooper Third, Johnny Watson's cousin. He was trying to introduce me before the car came along, but he never got the chance. I guess as this shindig's for you, and I'm the only other guest from out of town, we'll have to introduce ourselves, the two guests of honor, as it were. Miss Pratt laughed her silvery laugh, murmured politely, and turned no freezing glance upon her neighbor. Indeed, it seemed that she was far from regarding him with the distaste anticipated by William and Joe Bullitt. Floppet looks so tooted tunnin', she was heard to remark. Floppet looks so idle on dray big normous man's lap. Mr. Crooper laughed deprecatingly. He does look kind of small compared to the good old man that's got charge of him now. Well, I always was a good deal bigger than the fellows I went with. I don't know why it is, but I was always kind of quicker, too, as it were, and the strongest in any crowd I ever got with. I'm kind of muscle-bound, I guess, but I don't let that interfere with my quickness any. Take me in an automobile. Now, I got a racing car at home, and I keep my head better than most people do, as it were. I can kind of handle myself better. I don't know why it is. My brains seem to work better than other people's. That's all it is. I don't mean that I got more sense, or anything like that. It's just the way my brains work. They kind of put me at an advantage, as it were. Well, for instance, if I'd been living in this town and joined in with the crowd to get up this party, well, it would have been done a good deal different. I won't say better, but different. That's always the way with me if I go into anything. Pretty soon I'm running the whole shebang. I don't know why it is. The other people might try to run it their way for a while, but pretty soon you notice them beginning to step out of the way for good old George. I don't know why it is, but that's the way it goes. Well, if I'd been running this party, I'd have had automobiles to go out in, not a trolley car where you all got to sit together. I'd have sent over home for my little racer, and I'd have taken you out in her myself. I wish I'd sent for it anyway. We could have let the rest go out in the trolley, and you and I could have got off by ourselves. I'd like you to see that little car. Well, anyway, I bet you'd have seen something pretty different, and a whole lot better, if I'd have come over to this town in time to get up this party for you. For us, Miss Pratt corrected him sunnily. Both strangers, party for us too, all both. And she gave him one of her looks. Mr. Crooper flushed with emotion. He was annexed. He became serious. Say, he said, that's a mighty smooth hat you got on. And he touched the fluffy rim of it with his forefinger. 
His fat shoulders leaned toward her yearningly. "'We'd certainly have had a lot better time sizzling along in that little racer I got,' he said. "'I'd like to had you see how I handle that little car. Girls over home, they say they like to go out with me just to watch the way I handle her. They say it ain't so much just the ride, but more the way I handle that little car. I don't know why it is, but that's what they say. That's the way I do anything I make up my mind to tackle, though.' i don't try to tackle everything there's lots of things i wouldn't take enough interest in em as it were but just let me make up my mind once and it's all off i don't know why it is there was a brakeman on the train got kind of fresh he didn't know who i was well i just put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him down in his seat like this and he set his hand upon miss pratt's shoulder i didn't want to hit him because there was women and children in the car so i just shoved my face up close to him like this I guess you don't know how much stock my father's got in this road, I says. Did he wilt? Well, you ought have seen that brakeman when I got through telling him who I was. Nasty old brakeman, said Miss Pratt with unfailing sympathy. Mr. Crooper's fat hand, as if unconsciously, gave Miss Pratt's delicate shoulder a little pat in reluctant withdrawal. Well, that's the way with me, he said. Much as I've been around this world, nobody ever tried to put anything over on me and got away with it. They always come out the little end of the horn. I don't know why it is. Say, that's a mighty smooth locket you got on the end of that chain hit there. And again stretching forth his hand, in a proprietor-like way, he began to examine the locket. Three hot hearts, just behind, pulsated hatred toward him, for Johnny Watson had perceived his error, and his sentiments were now linked to those of Joe Bullitt and William. The unhappiness of these three helpless spectators was the more poignant because not only were they witnesses of the impression of greatness which George Crooper was obviously producing upon Miss Pratt, but they were unable to prevent themselves from being likewise impressed. They were not analytical. They dumbly accepted George at his own rating, not even being able to charge him with a lack of modesty. Did he not always accompany his testimonials to himself with his deprecating falsetto laugh, and, I don't know why it is, an official disclaimer of merit, as it were, here was a formidable candidate indeed, a traveller, a man of the world, with brains better and quicker than other people's brains, an athlete, yet nightly. He would not destroy even a brakeman in the presence of women and children. And finally, most enviable and deadly, the owner and operator of a little racer. All this glitter was not far short of overpowering, and yet, though accepting it as fact, the woeful three shared the inconsistent belief that in spite of everything, George was nothing but a big, fat lummox, for thus they even rather loudly whispered of him, almost as if hopeful that Miss Pratt, and maybe George himself, might overhear. Impotent their seething. The overwhelming Crooper pursued his conquering way. He leaned more and more toward the magnetic girl, his growing tenderness having that effect upon him, and his head inclining so far that his bedewed brow now and then touched the fluffy hat. He was constitutionally restless, but his movements never ended by placing a greater distance between himself and Miss Pratt, though they sometimes discommoded Miss Parcher, who sat at the other side of him, a side of him which appeared to be without consciousness. He played naively with Miss Pratt's locket and with the filmy border of her collar. He flicked his nose for some time with her little handkerchief, loudly sniffing its scent, and finally he became interested in a ring she wore, removed it, and tried unsuccessfully to place it upon one of his own fingers. I've worn lots of girls' rings on my watch, Fob. 
I'd let him wear mine on a chain or something. I guess they like to do that with me, he said. I don't know why it is. At this subtle hint, the three unfortunates held their breath, and then lost it as the lovely girl acquiesced in the horrible exchange. As for William, life was of no more use to him. Out of the blue heaven of that bright morning's promise had fallen a pall, draping his soul in black and purple. He had been horror-stricken when first the pudgy finger of George Crooper had touched the fluffy edge of that sacred little hat. Then, during George's subsequent pawings and leanings, William felt that he must either rise and murder or go mad. But when the exchange of rings was accomplished, his spirit broke and even resentment oozed away. For a time there was no room in him for anything except misery. Dully, William's eyes watched the fat shoulders hitching and twitching, while the heavy arms flourished in gesture and in further pawings. Again and again were William's ears afflicted with, I don't know why it is, following upon tribute after tribute paid by Mr. Crooper to himself, and received with little cries of admiration and sweet child words on the part of Miss Pratt. It was a long and accursed ride. End of chapter 19